it's a little bit early, but I think we're I think we're good to call it the official start of spooky season. What do you think? I think it's a good time. Yeah, it's I'm, I'm feeling pretty spooky personally. I am feeling quite spooktacular myself. And in that spirit, if you want to support the spooky season, uh, like, comment, and subscribe. But also, I have a big announcement that I totally forgot to do last week. <laughs> but I will not forget this time. Uh, first of all, welcome to Under the Bridge, everybody. Welcome to Under the Bridge. I'm Cody, a.k.a. the Scarlet Troll. And I am Greg, a.k.a. Greg. And the big announcement is that after last year's ended up not happening on account of rain, and a year of building my self-esteem back up after that, Aww. <laughs> it came from under the bridges, coming back! Yeah! Whoop whoop! Yeah, we're doing a live horror movie double feature screening at Unlimited Video Games Superstore and Arcade. So if you are in the... T- uh, Pinellas County area. Honestly, if you're in the Tampa Bay area, honestly, if you just feel like swinging in and checking out some horror movies about cars of indeterminate quality, <laughs> yes, <laughs> swing in. There's gonna be trivia. You can win prizes. Hey, prizes galore. <laughs> I am keeping. Don't say galore. You're setting it on. You're setting an expectation. I can't possibly hope to keep up with. Oh. Anyways, the movies are secret. Hmm. So if you want to find out exactly what they are, you're just gonna have to show up. <laughs> Maybe they're high-performance films. Maybe they're cinematic car wrecks. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, that's over with. Mm. God, that felt dirty. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't have it in me to be a. I don't have it in me to be a social media guy. I don't think. I. Uh, I mean, I'll post to social media, but I don't think I'll be social media. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, I get you. Hmm. I don't know, what do you want to do first? Because we got, we got all kinds of news. We got strike news, we got game news, we got comic news. Uh, what are you feeling frisky with right now? <laughs> uh, you know, let's, let's start with games. Okay. Start with the gaming news. You, you, you have very helpfully supplied the gaming news this week. Yes, I have. The two main things, or at least, I mean, there's been a bunch of different game news, but the two things that I think are very interesting is, first and foremost... It was announced earlier today on the official Platinum Games um, Twitter account that founder of the company and longtime creator of really awesome games, Hideki Kamiya, will be leaving Platinum's Games October 12, 2023. In a shock to the system, to say the least. Yeah, Platinum on their official Twitter account announced that he would be leaving on the October 12th. And then Kamiya on his own account stated, quote, As announced on the official Platinum Games account, I will be leaving Platinum on October 12, 2023. This came after a lot of consideration based on my own beliefs and was by no means an easy decision to make. However, I feel this outcome is for the best. I will continue to create in my Hideki Kamiya way, trademark pending probably, (laughs) and I hope you'll keep your eyes peeled, unquote. The trademark pending probably was not part of the quote, just to make it clear. No, it was not. Yeah, it was not. Yeah, no, it's a surprise, because, like, for the uninitiated, Kamiya is a guy who has been influential in creating a number of noteworthy games, including, but very much not limited to, Resident Evil 2, DMC, Clover, Bayonetta, Beautiful Joe. Henshin and Go-Go, baby! Henshin and Go-Go. A lot of very neat titles. Of course, my personal pick out of that, because it's the only one I've played, even though I have a couple of these in my personal collection, is DMC, which, always worth playing, with the exception of DMC 2. Yes, I do like the Ninja Theory one more than DMC 2. Come at me, haters. <laughs> if <laughs> they do, that. I guess that means you gotta run DMC. Uh... 
I will not apologize. No, you shouldn't. But I'm also encouraging this because that kind of hater rate drives up engagement. So, ha! Heck yeah! Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, this is a significant surprise. I mean, if anything, based on what Kamiya himself has said, it confirms that he's probably not retiring. Because I wasn't sure if it was a thing of, like, if he's leaving to do his own thing again, or if he's, um... <laughs> I mean, yeah, because it's like, he created his own company. <laughs> It's like, I'm leaving the company I created to do my own thing. It's like, I feel like again is warranted at that point. <laughs> not not anything against him, it's just how I see it. But I, if anything, it's kind of encouraging that it means that he's still going to be working on something. So, that's True. good news, I would say. It does make you wonder what Platinum did to piss him off, though. <laughs> yeah! I hope it's not a repeat of the fallout between Kojima and Konami. Oh, who knows, it very well might be. Yeah, or it I mean, might I not be. Yeah, I feel like I don't know. This doesn't seem very angry, so I don't think it is. But who knows what happens behind closed doors? I mean, to be fair, I feel like, and this is an overgeneralization, but I feel like when it comes to Japanese corporate culture, you really wouldn't expect him to blow up. Yeah, fair. <laughs> when parting ways feels like it pretty much is him saying, "Man, man, just just go take a long walk off a short pier." Yeah, <laughs> for real. I had to get creative because it was still too early in for me to drop an F. That's fair. I might ruin that at some point, and I apologize um, unexpectedly. And then, in a different thing that I personally think is an interesting, very interesting interview, the COO of Capcom, Har- I'm probably going to butcher this Haruhiro Sujimoto. Thank you. Haruhiro Sijimoto was interviewed by Bloomberg at the Tokyo Game Show. He was asked a number of questions in regards to the future of the company, how how well Capcom is doing right now, mobile gaming and all that. And the main thing that would probably be the most interesting overall is that he was asked about the possibility of Capcom either buying out other companies or being potentially bought out by Microsoft. And in regards to the Microsoft question in particular, when asked if he would entertain the possibility of Microsoft buying out the company, Sujimoto said that if it came to it, I feel like we would respectfully decline. The the long and short is that he, he believes that to create good games and a good productivity in general, you need to really work on your in-house resources that you have, mostly your human resources. So with that... Especially the lungs and the kidney. Yeah, especially... <laughs> shut up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm and for, if it's not clear, I'm also paraphrasing this interview. To that extent as well, in order to make that good creativity, you have to really bring up your human resources and all that. So to him, he said it wouldn't make sense for either for Capcom to allow itself to be bought out by Microsoft or for Capcom to buy out other companies. He said that, um, in his opinion, it would be better if Capcom and Microsoft existed more so as equal partners. And I feel like Microsoft kicks back at that and just thinks, yeah, good, that's cute. Well, it's funny because with the whole, and actually this is probably something that should have been mentioned before, but it's been talked about to death, so I completely forgot about it. Microsoft it accidentally leaked their future plans t- up through 2030, mostly like... Oh, no! Oh, no. What? They they did that? Yeah, initially it was said that, um... <laughs> I, I'm surprised you didn't hear about that. No, uh, when did this happen? This happened, I want to say, last week? 
I could very oh, well be correct. Where was I? Oh my god. I so, in fairness, I didn't think much about it because when this news broke, it had already made... It basically made the rounds the instant it broke, and it was covered so much by so many people that I think didn't think it was super important to talk about here. Because <laughs> by the time we would have gotten around to it, it already would have been, like, talked about to death. Yeah, fair, I guess. Initially, it was said that... Let me guess, the whole plan was buy more stuff. No, not necessarily. Oh, well, color me surprised. Although, a lot of the plan was to go deep, very deep, and very hard into digital gaming. Giggity? No, not really. But I'm biased because I like physical games too much. Yeah, same. Amongst various things that were leaked were... Now, granted, these are all things that were... The the leak the documents that were leaked, while all being legitimate internal documents from Microsoft in, itself, these were things that are kind of in the whole aspect of, this is what we would like to happen by 2030. Nothing really confirmed or anything like that. Amongst things that were talked about, probably the bigger things were a refresh of the Series S and Series X, which Jesus. in the internal document... <laughs> Please tell me it included fix the name. No. Oh, no. That would actually make me happy. No. In the internal document, apparently one of the descriptors, I think, for the refreshed Series X was for it to be now coming, described as adorably all digital. That is an actual line in this document. No. 100% no. That's not adorable. That's dystopian. Yes. I'm hoping... That if they do decide to go along with this, they do what's being rumored with the upcoming PlayStation 5 refresh in that, yes, it's an all-digital console, but there is going to be an optional disk drive attachment that you can buy down the line later. I'm not, I wouldn't be crazy about that, but I would at least be willing to accept that possibility. I wouldn't, but different strokes, I suppose. Well, I feel like they would have to for all the people that probably still use backwards compatibility with Xbox 360 games. Yeah. Because you'd be alienating a lot of people. No, I mean just make the disk drive built in. Don't make it an optional accessory. Oh, that too. Like, that's that's where my brain goes more than anything else. It's just do that. <laughs> yeah, in case you've forgotten, other, other consoles tried to make optional disk drives a thing. Looks at N64. How'd that work for them? <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like a certain argument could be made about the technology being in its infancy. But I also oh, that's do... definitely a factor. But I'm also gonna make I'm also gonna poke fun at it. I mean, fair. I was gonna say I do agree with your broader point in general. And honestly, so much of that leak goes into so many different things that I really don't feel like talking about it at length on this show. Fair, because it's a lot. If you can find, it, which it's not hard to find it, because it it's all over the freaking internet. I definitely recommend reading it if you get a chance to, because it's it's interesting. But it's also one of those things where. As I'm as you're reading, it's just like, how did you guys mess this up? <laughs> like, how did these very important documents get out? <laughs> Top men. Yeah, for real. But yeah, no, a lot of this talk seems to be in wake of that massive leak. Um, in regards to Capcom buyout, because other things talked about in the document were, uh, Microsoft not so much trying to, but eyeing up the possibility of buying out Square Enix, Sega, and you'll love this one, Nintendo. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, like, as soon as I saw that, I was just like, alright guys, you're uh... Lay down, go home, you're drunk. <laughs> yeah, it's like, just just put the bottle down, 
Get a designated driver, sleep it off. You want That's me to call you an Uber? Happening. I'll call you an Uber. <laughs> it's like, the, when I saw the, them saying it's like, considering buying out Nintendo, I was like, alright, alright, let's take a step back here. Let's come back to reality. <laughs> let's snap back to reality. Disgusting. <laughs> yeah, no. But yeah, with with all of those news, of course, I, it would make sense for that question to be raised towards Capcom because as I understand it Capcom is doing very well right now and for Capcom to basically say uh, no <laughs> fuck <Yeah>. no <laughs> yeah like Capcom is like like they're doing really well their games are doing really well financially they're in a good apparently spot apparently you're gonna be able they're to play I- Resident Evil on an iPhone 15 which when the fuck did we get to 15 yeah, I, I, I mean, I barely pay attention to Apple products as it is, so I don't know, but I was just like, is that really how far mobile gaming has come? Part of my brain is going, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> Congrats, Greg, we're becoming boomers now. Y- yeah, for real. But their projection is to sell 100 million individual copies of their game Games in a year. Games, plural. Which was actually really sobering, because it was the thing that reminded me of like where Capcom sits overall. Because I feel like a lot of titles, well, not a lot of titles, of course, like no individual game has ever really broken more than 100 million copies, if, as I understand it. I don't think even Grand Theft Auto has, um, at least for like on individual games, on a series as a whole. But that was kind of the thing that maybe goes like, oh, you know what? That's right. Relative to everyone else, Capcom is, Capcom's not exactly small time. But, you know, they're not as big as, like, the likes of, like, Sony, Nintendo, Microsoft, Square Enix, yada yada. Mm. But, yeah, fun things. And odd, in a really odd case of Japanese game people being based. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, which is kind of weird, in all honesty. But I'm all for it. Even speaking as someone in Microsoft's ecosystem, it's like, alright, I'm glad not everyone is just bending to the will of the Green X. Well... Let's say we break away from the disgusting world of corporate gaming and into the <laughs> equally disgusting world of major comic publishers. So still corporate gaming, but paperback. Yeah, with pictures. <laughs> Alright, let's go. So you know how I keep saying the Ultimate Universe is back? Somehow, yeah. Well, it blew the fuck up, but whatever. Yeah, it blew up, and then it came back, and then it came back again, and then... <laughs> And then Hickman made a new Ultimate Universe where the maker that's the Ultimate Universe Reed Richards went to a different universe that was identical to the Ultimate Universe up to a certain point, and then he fucked with it and made himself God, and that's the Ultimate Invasion series that's going on right now. But, in the wake of that- I hate everything about- No, I hate everything about what you just said, and I don't even read the fucking comics. (laughs) Oh, just wait. Just wait. Her okay. Marvel Entertainment, Jonathan Hickman's Ultimate okay. Invasion limited series spawns an entire new Ultimate Universe, complete with a new Ultimate <laughs> Spider-Man, but I heard that. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Oh, Why is there a new Ultimate Spider-Man? We already have Miles. No, no Miles isn't <laughs> Ultimate anymore because he's in the mainstream. That fuck, god fucking damn it! I hate so, comics. I don't even read the fuck. Now we're things. getting another <laughs> Ultimate Spider-Man. Presumably, like we don't know that it's who it's gonna be. Maybe it's Peter Parker. Maybe it's a new Miles. Maybe it's a third guy. I don't fucking know. Watch it be Miguel O'Hara. Well, mm, I've actually got some more Miguel news, but that'll come later. <laughs> okay. Funny you should say that though. No, I would have thought it'd be really funny if it was Ben Riley, but good fucking luck. 
Or mm. Kane Parker, but nobody's oh. seen him in a couple of years. Who's Kane Parker? He's another clone. <laughs> a clone of who? Peter? Yeah. When were there cl- Ben Riley's a clone! That was a whole thing in the 90s! Just Spider-Man was getting cloned left and right. Remind me to tell you about Spider-Side sometime. Is, is he- Is there just a grand army of the Republic, just all Spider-People? Not the that- grand army Not of that the, bad. Of the- sp- Grand Army of the Spider Public or some shit? Oh, what the man. hell? I really need to bring back fully explained comics, but let me tell you, preparing for that Blue Beetle episode and then having tech issues and then watching Blue Beetle fall out of the public consciousness really did a number on my enthusiasm. So Oh boy. <laughs> oh, well Loki's coming out soon. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to do something for that. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, the point is the clone saga was a whole thing and it was supposed to be short. And then they, then, then the editors realized it was selling well, so they were like, no, keep it going, stretch it out. And then it took actual fucking years, and by the end of it, nobody cared anymore, and it was stupid and confusing, and it got so bad that they ultimately <laughs> just decided the Green Goblin was responsible for the whole thing. What the fuck? As they tend to do. <laughs> As they, t- what, is the Green Goblin just that easy? <laughs> well, okay, if it's not Green Goblin, it's Doc Ock, and if it's not Doc Ock, it's Mephisto, and if it's not Mephisto, it's probably just Peter fucking up. Okay. Oh, that's not okay, but whatever. No, it's not okay, <laughs> but it is expected. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Anyways, I'm interested for more details on this. I'm curious to see how this Ultimate Spider-Man thing is going to work, because Hickman is, generally speaking, much more of a big idea paradigm-shifting guy. <laughs> okay. And Ultimate Spider-Man was much more grounded, relatable. Uh, so Ultimate Spider-Man was more... I don't want to say based. Weedonest. Hate... Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I'll take that. I guess. A little Fucking more weedonest, dude. Okay. <laughs> so we'll see. Whatever. Apparently, it's out January twenty twenty four. Okay. I will enthusiastically await your review of it, because Lord knows I'm not fucking reading it. Oh, I'm waiting for the trade paperback. Are you fucking serious? I don't collect single issues anymore. Stupid. It's terrible. No way to do business. Fair. Trade paperbacks are where it's at. Anyways, Mm. we'll probably also get more information because New York Comic Con is next month, so... Okay. Anyways, the the Spider-Man 2099 news. (laughs) Alright. No, this is good. what do we got? This is good. Okay. Miguel O'Hara's dead. <laughs> no, not 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 yet. Okay. <laughs> also Keep in going. January, we're getting a five-part limited series called Miguel O'Hara Spider-Man 2099 by writer Steve Orlando, which is going to be an interesting mashup of 2099's dystopian future and Marvel's horror icons. Marvel's horror icons? Yes. Issue number one is going to have the introduction of the Marvel Zombies of 2099. What? 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 Miguel O'Hara is going to team up with Blade to take on uh, a zombie infection. (laughs) That's a sentence I never thought I would ever hear in my entire life. Oh, I'm sorry. I should have specified it's Blade 2099. Even still. (laughs) Uh, The second issue is called, apparently, Beware the Lunar Tomb of Dracula. Okay. The moon is under attack, and Spider-Man must team up. What? With... Hold on. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> it's one okay. of those things where you got to remember, 2099 used to be a hundred years ago, as opposed to like 70. 70. Okay, that's fair. The yeah. moon is under attack. <laughs> the moon is under attack, and Spider-Man must team up with Moon Knight 2099 to save it. And our celestial web slinger is going to need some new armor to get through it all. Okay. So it's 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 Moon Knight and Spider-Man teaming up to fight Dracula. 
So, you know what's really unfortunate? Several years ago, I would have been excited by such a <laughs> by such a thing. Now I'm just like, I don't know. I feel like this is going to be really stupid. You've been burdened with too much <laughs> comic knowledge, and you can see the writing on the walls. Yeah, and again, this that's amazing considering I don't I I I don't read the comics. I have an expensive enough hobby collecting video games. <laughs> oh, you think that sounded stupid? Wait till you hear the synopsis for issue three. Oh boy. Orlando and artist Jason Murr delivered over the top monster match for the one hundredth legacy of Spider Man twenty ninety nine. Cursed by blood. Swear- it's werewolf by twenty ninety nine. I swear to God, if there's not a Monster Mash song reference, I will actually fucking riot. <laughs> Werewolf by 2099, they say. So is it like a cy- cybernetic werewolf at that point? <laughs> I, it looks like just a werewolf as far as I can tell. Nope, wait, okay. it does have a cyborg thing. It is a cyborg werewolf. Oh, come on, it was just a joke. Oh, you were right, <laughs> you magnificent son of a bitch, you got it! Uh, there was, there's nothing magnificent about that. <laughs> Uh, issue four just... is going to be Spider-Man against the new Terror Incorporated. Uh, Terror, to the best of my understanding, is an anti-hero who can acquire people's skills through their disembodied limbs. So the AI that might be used to make movies, then. Y- yeah. <laughs> Topical. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> I think. <laughs> and then issue five is going to have 2099's version of Man-Thing. Where Spider-Man must find a way to save the lives and data of the people of Nueva York from the monster's burning touch. The monster's burning touch. Yeah, whosoever feels fear burns at the man-thing's touch, or something of the sort. Did, like, they literally, like, spontaneously combust? Yeah, they pretty much just burst into flames. That sounds so stupid. It's horrifying. (laughs) I love man-thing. Giant size and otherwise. Oh, yeah. No, never forget, Marvel was straight up publishing a comic called Giant Size Man-Thing. Ew. Right? That's that's a gross title. So I'm very excited for this. I cannot wait. I don't care if it's the stupidest thing in the fucking world. (laughs) It ends up coming out, and it's a thing of like, I literally said I didn't care if it's stupid, and I'm somehow still disappointed. (laughs) I'm still disappointed. (laughs) It's the whole thing of like, my expectations were, it was impossible to make them any lower, and you still dug a a hole out from underneath me. It's like, and there were my expectations, they were already fucking dead. (laughs) You've you've somehow managed to disappoint my non-existent expectations. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, let's get into other news. Oh boy. This one's brief. It has been confirmed by Eiichiro Oda that One Piece on Netflix is, in fact, getting a season two. I have been hearing shockingly good things about this show. Same? Same. I still haven't had a chance to watch any of it, and I'm really upset, because I actually want to. I just haven't had the time, and when I've had the time, I haven't had Netflix on my TV. It's anecdotal, of course, and I know it's not really a barometer of high journalistic integrity or whatnot, but... If my coworker Anthony is saying that it's actually good, and I'm sorry, Anthony, if you're listening to this, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus, but if I'm hearing him say that it's good, then it's like, okay, so this is probably actually worth seeing then. <laughs> nice. <laughs> because I know no other man who will harshly criticize something he loves, maybe to the same extent of you. <laughs> I do tend to tear down the things that I love the most. Yeah, so it's Well, like, okay, right. not as much as the things that I absolutely fucking despise, but it's a close second. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> love, hate, hate, love. It's all the same emotion. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I've been like I said, I've been hearing nothing but great things about it. So I was just like, all right, it must be doing exceptionally well then to get a second season. Right, especially because that's an expensive fucking series. Oh, it has to be, absolutely. And we like, all know just... how much Netflix loves pumping money into one season of something and then never continuing it. Yeah, no, it's like... When I found when it when it shows like, hey, we're doing One Piece, I'm like, the CGI budget for this thing must be astro fucking nominal. What are you gonna do in season two when the reindeer shows up? Oh shit! I completely, I completely forgot about Chopper. What are you gonna do when <laughs> fucking Chopper shows up? How are you gonna pull that off and not make that look horrific? Yeah, I can't oh, wait. Be... I'm so excited. <laughs> That's gotta be something. Mm. And then just another little bit of uh, something. Mm-hmm. Lionsgate has made a release date for John Woo's next action movie, Silent Night, which is apparently his first American film in 20 years. Please tell me this is a Christmas movie. Yes! Good. I swear to God. I was going to say, like, what? how do you have a movie called Silent Night being done by John Woo that isn't a Christmas movie? <laughs> oh, wait till you hear this. Oh, boy. So, the film has no dialogue, apparently, and okay. here's the summary. The gritty revenge tale follows a tormented father who witnesses his young son die when caught in a gang's crossfire on Christmas Eve. While recovering from a wound that cost him his voice, Kinnaman makes vengeance his life's mission and embarks on a punishing training regimen in order to avenge his son's death. Okay. From yeah, John that, Woo. As, I mean, weird, like, really oddball, crazy vengeance story? Sounds, I guess, on brand. It's been a long time since I've seen a John. My my most recent like in, like experience with anything John Woo has been playing Max Payne. Ah, fair. So it's been a long time since I've actually seen any of his movies. <laughs> and yeah, that'll be coming out in theaters on December first. So Merry Christmas to us all, I suppose. <sighs> and now, let's get into the strike news. Oh boy, our favorite. Do 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 do. Pay your fucking writers. And now actors. I might have to change the jingle. Oh, really? Yeah, I might have to change the jingle because, and this this could still all fall apart, but after mm-hmm. several very long days of negotiations, the Writers Guild of America and the AMPTP have reached a tentative deal on a new contract. Oh, really? Yep, the WGA emailed the strike captains on Sunday night saying, we have reached a tentative agreement on a new 2023 MBA, which is to say an agreement in principle on all deal points, subject to drafting final contract language. We can say with great pride that this deal is exceptional, with meaningful gains and protections for writers in every sector of the membership. Uh, The AMPTP confirmed the news in a joint statement. It still needs to be ratified by WGA members, and no details have been disclosed yet, because... The negotiating committee said what remains now is for our staff to make sure everything we have agreed to is codified in final contract language, and though we are eager to share the details of what has been achieved with you, we cannot do that until the last I is dotted. Hmm. So basically they still have to put it towards the uh, members of the of the union. Yeah. And and if they're cool with it, then they can move forward. If it's approved, the, board, the WGA West Board and the WGA East Council will also vote on whether to end the strike at a certain date and time pending ratification. I'm going to be interested to see what happens because SAG-AFTRA still on strike and the WGA has indicated that they would continue striking in solidarity with the actors. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. This does not, this doesn't get everything back even if this deal goes through because even if the writers don't still keep striking with the actors, they still don't have actors. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you kind of need actors to make movies and shows yep. and shit. Just like you need writers. The, literally the two most important aspects of making any kind of entertainment media. <laughs> uh, you, you're not going to get far without cameramen either. Oh, fair. That's fair. And sound people. And it, really, just the whole, just the whole, the whole recipe. Just pay everyone whatever they're worth. Yeah, for and real. And fuck it. So that's astounding if it goes through. Yes. But uh, what do you think the chances are of it falling apart? <laughs> well, see, mm. it's going to depend on what the details are, and it's going to depend on. I would not put it past the studios to try to fuck it up and weasel out of certain things in the actual contract. Mm-hmm. But that's probably just me being cynical. Yeah, cynical, but not unfoundedly cynical either. Ain't that just a kick in the head? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, SAG-AFTRA is still on strike at this time. No deals, as mm-hmm. far as I know, have been put into place. But, mm-hmm. SAG-AFTRA has said, ahead of uh, Dancing with the Stars rehearsals being picketed by the WGA, SAG-AFTRA is saying its members on the production are are not running afoul of any strike rules. <laughs> Wait. So you're telling me Dancing with the Stars is keeping it real? <laughs> yeah, Dancing with the Stars is apparently fine for actors to go on. Which I <laughs> <What> guess... <the? laughs> okay. Well, now, hold on. I think that makes a certain amount of sense. Because, technically speaking, they're not really acting in Dancing with the Stars. No, they're just competitors at that point. Or just judges. So... I think a lot of them are dance are are actually like on the show as dancers, not necessarily as judges. I don't know. I don't really watch dancing, but but they're up there as themselves doing their thing. All I can think of now is that bit from the Muppets, like twenty, what was it, twenty fifteen series, where it was like an office mockumentary, where Kermit just goes to Gonzo and goes, "You walked into a hall full of dancing stars and you brought back Tom Bergeron." (laughs) (laughs) That was good. That was a good time. I like that show. Oh yeah, I kind of miss it. But anyways, yeah, uh, the program is a SAG-AFTRA non-dramatic production under a separate agreement that is not subject to the union strike order, according to their statement. Right. So, yeah, that's just a little thing, but I thought it was interesting enough to be worth including, especially because I was trying to pad things out until that conclusion was reached. Fair. (laughs) Because the last couple of days, all I've seen is they're negotiating, they're close to a deal, they're negotiating, and I'm just like, get, get, get on with it! Yeah, get, get on with the get get on with the writing jokes. I don't know. <laughs> writing jokes, <laughs> writing jokes. <laughs> so, with any luck, uh, with the WGA hopefully no longer obligated to strike, and hopefully just doing it out of solidarity with the actors, this will hopefully serve as a kick in the pants for the AMPTP to get on board with their demands as well and begin acquiescing. Mm. Yes, yes, indeed. I'm gonna guess what happened is they released that. One offer, thinking it was really going to turn the tides, and everybody collectively still went, no, fuck you, pay the writers. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, no, like, guys, stop trying to weasel out. You you know the only way this is going to go. Unconditional surrender. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Let's go to trailer time. Let's do trailer time. It's trailer time again. We've got movie previews to watch. It's trailer time again! Since the since the strikes are still technically happening at this point, and uh, it's kicking the theater industry in the ass a little bit, we don't have a lot of trailers. Uh, 
We did get a new trailer for Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. I almost said Songbergs, and then I thought, what's a songberg? Is that a singing iceberg? Is that what killed the Titanic? Is is it a musical in St. Petersburg? Ooh, that would also be a thing. <laughs> this still looks alright. Yeah, it's... It's unfortunate because I have no frame of reference to... Because I've never seen any of the original movies or read the books. Likewise. Yeah, this might be one of those weird things where I actually end up watching this and be like, huh, maybe I should actually go and watch the movies now. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't... That would be something. I wasn't paying attention when the Hunger Games were a thing, but I feel like this looks a little more... What's the word I'm looking for? Grandiose? It looks a little more... Colorful and weird? Yeah, I feel like it has that going because it's doing the, this odd thing of, like, the Hunger Games being the Hunger Games, but also keeping with the whole 1950s aesthetic that it's got going on, too. Because the, the 50s are generally known as being incredibly flamboyant and colorful and all that. Mm. Um, so that is honestly the thing that has me interested in this movie, now that I think about it, is how they've got this mix of, like, the flamboyance and color of the 50s with the very dark and very messed up story that is the center of attention being the hunger games right it's um crap what was the one movie that what was the name of that one movie that we watched at um florence Pugh was in where don't worry darling yes don't worry darling thank you man i remember when i was super excited for that one too (laughs) i kind of almost get those vibes if you turn up the dystopian totalitarianism up by 11 and remove the mystery and remove the mystery, and... Okay, maybe not the misogyny. It's probably still a good bit of misogyny. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> probably slightly less, though. Mm-hmm. And then this next one, Butcher's Crossing, actually released at a film festival last year, but it's wide-releasing next month. This looks like a good time. Right? I mostly put it on just because Nicolas Cage, but... Mm-hmm. This does look suitably suspenseful. Yeah. Man, there's I feel like there's been two different trailers for Nicolas Cage movies in the last two weeks. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, I thought about that. It's just like, man, man is getting this man is getting mileage out of this because now he's like, I get to be in all the like it's not even the thing of like weird stuff for the sake of it. It's the thing it's very clear the case of like I get to be in the weird movies that I genuinely am very interested in being a part of. <laughs> right? At the end like, of this, see- he seems very much unhinged in a good way. Yeah. Nicolas Cage is clearly having a good time in this, as he was in the trailer for... Oh, what was the last one? Was it The Boy and the Heron? No, that was the Ghibli one. Oh, okay. Fuck, why don't I remember this? Yeah. Eh. Oh, well. But yeah, no, it's... uh, This looks good. I initially thought that the that the main character, that right perspective I think is shown through, is... uh. I thought it was Chris Pratt, and I got Same. very excited. Same. <laughs> yeah, because I was just like, wait, Chris Pratt and Nicolas Cage? All right, uh-huh. sign me the hell up. <laughs> yeah, it's like, those are two, like, I don't think there's any, like, bad blood or anything, like, weird between them, but that was a thing where, like, I would never expect the two of them in the same movie. <laughs> also, uh, did you see that one segment where it looked like the cart was reverse falling apart? Yeah, I was like, okay, we got some, I was thinking, like, alright, we got some Tenet in here. <laughs> <laughs> we got I feel some, like that's gotta like, be a dream sequence or something, or maybe it's just manipulated footage. Yeah, it has to be. Because if there's genuinely any actual sci-fi elements in this, I'll flip my fucking lid. Yeah. Apparently this this is based on a 
novel by John Williams. Oh, neat. Yeah. So, eh. but yeah, no, this looks cool. It looks, I'm kind of, even though I don't watch a lot of them, I've always kind of been like, at least an initial sucker for a lot of Western movies. So it's already got my attention there with it also being a Nicolas Cage movie too. From what I understand, the old way, which was like, I think the last Western he did, didn't do very well at all. So, part of me is thinking, like, I wonder if this is him making, trying to make up for how the old way went. <laughs> Who knows? Nicolas Cage doesn't have to answer for a goddamn thing. No, he does not. Actually, I'm curious now, like, how badly did this movie do the old way that is? Because, again, I realized that it did... Holy shit. <laughs> oh, no, I gotta look this up. How bad? Oh my well, god. Can... <laughs> yeah. No, what didn't, what got me wasn't that. Oh, it, it was, was the box release. office. That's why. Oh, okay. As I say, even then, its box office seems really low. <laughs> That's not great. No, it's like sixty thousand dollars on the box office. Yeah. Like, damn. All right, but Speaking if it's a limited of, release, and that makes sense, more sense. Mm-hmm. Let's go to this weekend's box office. Oh boy. We've seen two movies this weekend between the two of us. We each saw one, and neither of them were the highest-grossing movie domestically. What was the highest-grossing movie domestically? To my disgust and horror, it is still The Nun 2. (laughs) Emphasis on horror. And when you hear how much it made, you will weep for everything else on this list. Okay. Because The Nun 2 won the domestic weekend with 8.5 million. Ooh. Yeah, it is now sitting at a $69.3 million domestic total and $204.5 million worldwide. Thanks for that, rest of the world. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, the movie you saw came in close. It, it kept the it kept that it kept that real close because it was really it was Expendables <laughs> four at eight million dollars. Huh. That's, and with, as far as I can tell, no worldwide release information against a $100 million budget. There's no fucking way. No, like, there's no, there's no way this movie has a, it has to be paying all the fucking actors. Yeah, no, what <laughs> is that? Megan Fox, Jason Statham, Sylvester Stallone are all in it. Trust me, and I'll talk a little bit about it later on. This does not have any inclination of being a $100 million movie. Fuck no. <laughs> Scathing, coming from Greg, what an absolute indictment. (laughs) (coughs) And now I've killed him. Uh, Uh, Third place was A Haunting in Venice at $6.3 million domestically. It's sitting at a $25.3 million domestic total and $71.4 million worldwide. It has made back its production budget, so now it's just a matter Mm. of catching up with marketing, since the production budget was about $60 million. Oh, okay. Fourth place, Equalizer 3 at $4.7 million domestically for an $81.2 million domestic total and $148.6 million worldwide against a $70 million budget. Doing pretty all right. Okay, so it's just just now broken its profit margin then. Yep. If you ascribe to the two times production budget, it, it can vary. It can definitely vary. Right. And then... Oh man, in fifth place, it's still goddamn Barbie! <laughs> Alrighty. Praise be on the Margot Robbie, I guess. Mm. $3.2 million domestically for a $630.4 million domestic total and $1.427 million worldwide. If, I don't know if you have it pulled up. What was number six? What did, how did it do? I, oh, I'm I didn't bother how... to get the exact information, but it was my Big Fat Greek Wedding 3. 
Okay, because it was the thing, like, I wonder what the margin is between 5th and 6th. Because Barbie has to be getting out of the top 5 at some point. Yes, when it I goes know to, the... When it goes to home release, probably. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yes, I know the counterpoint is, look at the entire last, what, 3 months, 4 months? Yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's been like 2. Okay. No, you know uh, when Barbie still... will drop out of the top 5 when it's out of theaters? <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I could see that happening. I can see that happening 100%. Yeah. And in seventh place, the movie I saw, It Lives Inside, at 2.6 million domestically. No Oof. worldwide release information yet, as far as I can see. I can't find a budget. Hmm. I'm seeing rumblings of 10 million, but uh, oh, well. I, I am no purveyor of rumor. Okay. One of these days, I need to remember to check and see if I can pull off the joke that I want to pull off. <laughs> Maybe right. after this, if you've got time. Oh, fair. Anyways, uh, you wanted to go on a rant about Expendables. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Deal me in on this. How's it? <laughs> how bad is it? Uh, yes. Um, Delightful. Yeah. So, Expendables four. Don't see it. Oh, you need an Ooh. actual descriptor. Okay. <laughs> Okay, alright, in fairness, that was bad form. That was bad form. No, no, right, it's so honest. <laughs> I can't fault honest. I mean, well, I'll get more into it later on. So, Expendables 4, it's the fourth movie in the Expendables franchise. Oh, I thought it was the sixth. The freaking, let's say if you couldn't tell by the freaking number. Once again, we have an ensemble action cast consisting of Jason Statham, Sylvester Stallone, Dolph Lundgren, um, Randy Kotor being... Um, actors coming in from the previous movies alongside 50 Cent which I'm going to be completely honest I completely forgot that 50 Cent was in this movie <laughs> until I was in the theaters like crap that's okay. right you're in this but yeah 50 Cent Megan Fox Tony Ja yeah I feel like I'm saying it wrong anyway yeah Eco, yeah 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 da -na -na -na. god that freaking arcade cabinet <laughs> <laughs> Tony Ja Eco Uwai who, from what I understand, they... Well, we'll get into it more later. Um, Jacob Scorpio. A bunch of other interesting people. But, you know, once again, ensemble action movie where uh, Sylvester Stallone and his group of very lethal middle-aged crisis people are going on a CIA-backed adventure to stop someone from starting World War III again. You know, so with this, as I understand it, this is supposed to be Statham's last entry in the expendable series this movie is supposed to kind of do more to set up jason's or yeah jason statham setting up for taking over like the lead role in the movie in the movie franchise which i i genuinely don't see how there's another one of these <laughs> like i mean it's a it's a generic action movie I would definitely say it's worth seeing. I'd say it's kind of worth seeing if you are a fan, a sucker for Jason Statham, which I absolutely am, because he's fun in it. He's generally fun in a lot of the things he is in, including the things that he knows are dumb. Because <laughs> usually he just leans into how dumb it is, and that's kind of entertaining in its own right. Yeah, so let's see. This might be actually the most predictable movie I've ever seen in my life. Oh, dear. Some of it, I feel like, is goes in the spoiler territory, but it, it's in the way of everything that's going to happen next, with, I think, like, a couple exceptions, is very significantly telegraphed, or just kind of silly and goes on for longer than it needs to. 
I feel like the actors themselves, they're not doing a bad job per se, but I feel like it's more so what's going on in the movie and how it's written is what's letting them down. The movie has some of the most god-awful CGI and obvious green screening I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> like, it's bad. I actually, I was upset that you weren't with me on this because I feel like we would have sat there and just probably made fun of the bad green screen more than anything else. There are several points in the movie where it was just, like, very obvious that people were talking against a green screen. It's just like, oh, oh, that's not good. That That's not good, guys. How's the actor chemistry? I mean, it's a bunch of buff, strong people and, Mega, and Megan Fox making dumbass quips while killing people. How do you think? <laughs> Better or worse than Fast and Furious? Uh... I would say worse. Oh. And and that's actually the most damning thing I because re- at a certain point as I'm watching this, I did very much even though I've seen the previous three movies and I in a very broad way I do generally like the series because this um series of movies are dumb fun. This is the Expendables franchise is the equivalent of having a night out with buddies, smoking weed, being surrounded by soda and playing Call of Duty. It's healthy it's dumb. It's not. It's not healthy. It's unhealthy. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, it's I very remember unhealthy. getting some exercise and sitting around surrounded by Mountain Dew. <laughs> it's deeply unhealthy. It's very dumb. There's no real substance to any of it, but you're still kind of having a good time because you've got a good group of people with you, ideally at least. So, because of how predictable this movie is, this movie actually does tension worse than Fast and Furious. I would say. That's tragic. This movie's not good. I do not believe for a second that this movie, even with the cast, this movie having a hundred million dollar budget is tragic. (laughs) It is amazingly tragic. (laughs) Wow. Because it does not look like a hundred million dollar movie. And a hundred million is not even ruined that much anymore. No, it's not, but it's one of those... The unfortunate thing is that the reason why I say that is because what kills me on that $100 million budget thing is that is the quality of what comes out. Some of the actual, like, practical effects and all that, as far as the actual, like, gunshots, explosions, stuff like that, because there are some practical effects in this movie, those are actually pretty solid. Those are pretty well done, I would say, overall. But they're not the entirety of the movie, if that makes sense. Yeah. For me, the gold standard when it comes to practical effects, just and that's and this is mostly just because the people who made the movie only used practical effects, they actually straight up said we refuse to use CGI for this movie, is the 2015 Need for Speed movie. Because they were like, yeah, we're going to use practical effects at every opportunity we get. Now, granted, still not a good movie. <laughs> but something I very much respected. And a movie? Yeah, it was... It was okay. Oh, God, who God. was in it? Yeah, fuck, who, who was in it? Because I know, like, the main reason that people want to see it was because Aaron of the Paul? Leader. Yes, thank you. Aaron Paul story. Because this was still during the height of Breaking Bad. And Dominic so, Cooper? Yeah. And also... Rami Malek? Yeah, R- Rami Malek is in it. Michael Keaton? Mal- <laughs> I can yes. never do that again. If, if I ever do that again, I'll actually explode. <laughs> You know what? I don't think I can say much more about Expend Four. Okay, actually, no. The best thing <laughs> about <we> this, <laughs> the best thing about this movie for me had nothing to do with the movie. Is that when I got in my car 
and tur- and like started my car to drive home. I was tuned into NPR. Yes, I listen to NPR. I I'm a I don't know what that makes me, but I do listen to NPR. And they do and usually on the weekends they have a segment talking about the weekend's box office. And the <laughs> the journalist who was talking about the movies when getting two Expendables for said, but not far behind that was Sylvester Stallone's Expendables. <laughs> she said that on the air, and that made me so happy because <laughs> yes. it's the thing of like not even this NPR journalist can take this seriously. <laughs> I wouldn't imagine so. Yeah, no, there's not really an awful lot to talk about this movie, and I feel like even the spoiler section is not going to have too much craziness just because. There's there's nothing really going on here. This is very by the books, and not from a lot of good books, in my opinion. Ah, it's it's predictable. It's kind of bleh. It, I don't think it's personally worth seeing. Um, like I said, unless unless you just need like even amongst junk food movies, there's better options. Fast and Furious Ten Part One is better a better junk food movie than this. Ooh, like like genuinely. I mean, I had a good and time even, with Fast Ten. Yeah. Way better than I was expecting. No, yeah. And I and I know some people were going to be like, oh no, he's biased because he's talked about like the Fast Furious. Like, yes, that is true. But it is genuinely a better movie. <laughs> uh, Which again, I can't is a say shame. that, but from your description, <laughs> it tracks. So are we moving to spoilers? Yeah, we'll move to spoilers. All right, if you don't want to get spoiled on Expendables for whatever reason, make sure to click away in three, two, one. So, I just, because I just feel like getting it out of the way. Sylvester Stallone dies. For real? In like the first one. Tw- <laughs> 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 oh, you sweet summer child. I meant uh, for real in the movie, but. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, in the movie, he dies for real. Oh. Um, well, oh, God almighty. <laughs> so, he dies in like the first 20 minutes. And what the, the fuck? setup. Yeah, no, for real. And the setup for the entire movie after that point, is getting revenge on the dude who killed him, which is Iku Uwai's character of Ramat, who met... Well, first off, I'm pretty sure I just mispronounced his first name, but I need to watch more of his movies, because the thing I always consistently hear about him in American movies is that he's always nerfed. I've never watched any foreign films with him in it, but from what I understand, he's... People are saying, like, why do they always nerf him in American movies? <laughs> Probably because he's going so, up against guys like Jason Statham, who probably has it in his contract. He can only get punched so many times. Isn't that a real thing? That was a real thing on some of the Fast and Furious movies of the past. I don't know if it's still a thing, and I okay. don't know if it ever applied to Statham. I think it was more Diesel and Johnson who had those. Fair. I mean, silly, but whatever. Really went a long um, way to some anemic fight choreography, though. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, so Sylvester Stallone dies... In the entire premise of the movie from that point forward is getting revenge on the group that killed him. Ha. Huh. There's also a whole, like, nuclear war thing that's going on, but the main crux of the movie is getting revenge on the guy who killed him. But it seems like um, a lot... And, uh, granted, I haven't seen the first three. It seems like a lot of the characters from the first three aren't necessarily in this one. No, they're not. But what, what theoretically, wouldn't they be the ones more likely to try and avenge him? Yeah... The main ones that are there are, or the main carryovers are Statham, Lundgren, and Kocher. I don't know what happened to, well, I can imagine what happened to Terry Crews given the last few years of his time in stardom. And also, from what I understand, he's having a great time on 
Brooklyn Nine Nine. Nice. Um, That's still going. I thought they canceled that. Oh, ah, oh, I hope not. I've only seen clips of it, but it looks like a good time. There's a character, actually with that, with the whole thing of getting revenge on them, there's a character that's introduced being Tony Jaw's character named Densha, who is apparently a former member of the Expendables, and honestly, nobody that I ever remember showing up. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm being dead serious when I say that. Like, I'm going to like just look this up real quick just to make sure I'm not losing my freaking mind. Yeah, no, he's totally new. He's introduced as a character who used to serve with um, Stallone's character like years and years and years ago and left at a certain point because he mentioned how at a certain point he got so good at killing that the pain and like bad guilty feeling that comes from killing just started to slowly fade away. And he got out of being a member of the Expendables because he was afraid that he would get to a point where he would be so numb to killing that he would lose what was left of his actual self. Which, I can respect that. Yeah. I can genuinely respect that. That is an interesting reason. And it actually set up a kind of an interesting dynamic, because the way he's introduced after Stallone's death, Jason Statham goes to Thailand to commandeer a boat, a former boat of his, to track down the guys who killed him, at which point he comes across Tony Jaw, fights him, ends in a draw, and they go together... And it's a thing of, at the end, like, as they get to the to the place that the enemy is at, Jason Saves goes, like, okay, you're going to go in after me. And uh, Dentra's just like, no, I can't. Like, this is as far as my journey goes. I will help you get this far. But I'm like, you know what? That's pretty cool. That's really interesting. They're totally going to bring him back later in the movie. Yep. And lo and fucking behold, he comes back, kunai's a-blazing. <laughs> <laughs> And he's, like, fully decked out, ready to kill some motherfucker, and, and kills very efficiently. Jason Steele looks at him and goes, it's like, I thought you weren't coming back. And he's like, I realize it would be really disrespectful if Barney's friend died and he didn't finish his mission. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> oh, you just realized that, huh? This just yeah, occurred to you. Yeah, and it's also a thing of, like, it feels really phoned in, and also a thing where the writers are just like, yeah, but it'll be cool if he does stuff, right? It's like, no. I can you hear can... the pitch meeting. I can hear the screen rant pitch meeting of, oh, and then this character comes back. Why? Because I thought it'd be cool. Oh, well, okay, then that does sound pretty cool. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just like, no, <laughs> just leave. It would have been cool if you had the balls to just fucking let him stick with his thing. You mean like Kumail Nanjiani in Eternals, which is a much better movie <laughs> than most people give it credit for? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Sorry to divert the subject. I just really like that that Kingo completely sat out the final fight in Eternals. I just thought it was cool. Anyways, continue. But yeah, no, like you know, track down the guys. Fight happens. Knife fight between Jason Statham and Eco, which is honestly pretty freaking awesome. This all happens. There's weird conspiracy. No- I really don't want to go into a whole deep dive of everything that happened in this movie because I don't think it's fucking worth it. No, that's fair. And then. Jason Statham, <laughs> there's a, at the very conclusion, end of the movie, it turns out, because the whole thing is that they're tracking down a nuclear weapon and whatnot, um, Jason Statham quite literally has his back against a wall, outmanned, outgunned, like everything is just like looking like he's gonna go down, and it's just so fucking telepathic, 
Because I'm just like, oh no, Jason Statham is like getting like shot at through windows and he's completely pinned down and he's out of ammo and everyone has ranged weapons that his knives can't fight against. Oh no, he's so good at what fucking saves him. And lo and behold, what saves Jason Statham is a helicopter gunship piloted by Sylvester Stallone. Fuck! (laughs) I'm glad I didn't see this now. Fucking kidding me? Because it turns out. <laughs> oh god, this is just out, a Fast and Furious movie. Yeah, it is. I think I. I'm not sure if I said this earlier. Fucking in this mirrors. Recording. Not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if I said this earlier in like in this recording, but I know I told you this earlier. This movie is to people who like like crazy spec ops military movies. What the Fast and Furious franchise is to car people. Oh but god. Worse. So much worse. Uh, just with this movie alone. Um, it turns out that years and years and years ago, on like an early off that Sylvester Stallone did with the CIA, he faked his own death to lure out who he thought was a suspect um, terrorist named Ocelot. And does he have a the revolver? Events of... Yes, he does, actually. God fucking damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. No, actually, no, never mind. He doesn't have a revolver. Okay, thank God. I Nico, almost got really well, mad. So what's funny is that Ramat's character actually has a revolver. A really cool revolver, too. I think it's called the Unica 6, if, I, if it's the gun I think it is. And because the movie also plays up the entire thing to show, like, him being rev- Ocelot. So I'm just like, huh, Ocelot, he's got a revolver. It's fucking good. You guys are proud of yourselves, aren't you? but yeah he faked his own death ages ago to lure out ocelot to prove that he was to to prove who he thought ocelot was and he does so and kills him which was the thing that kind of got me because like if you're trying to prove who it is wouldn't you think the ideal thing would be bring him in catch capture him and bring him back also, this is an extremely minor thing as well, I fully acknowledge this, but one of the core things with this movie is that it's taking place within Russian waters, and one of the things that the movie emphasizes is that even though, like, there can be no evidence that this is a U.S.-led operation. Like, if you get captured or anything like that, you will be completely disavowed and on your own. I'm like, alright, that's neat. And then they go to to the site of the operation in Russian territory, flying in a cargo jet with U.S. Air Force markings. And I'm just like, you just spent a decent amount of time explaining that the U.S. cannot be seen at all or let's be culpable in this. Why are you going with a plane marked with the Air Force? <laughs> like, it also feels like it's undermining the idea that they're setting up Jason Statham to be the one taking over the Expendables team and therefore a franchise if he has to get bailed out by Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, no. And, like, the movie ends with, like... And that's the thing that killed me, too, is because the movie ends with, like, you know, all of them back at the bar that they always hang out with. Having a barbecue. Uh, hang- <laughs> No, if only. That would have actually been kind of funny. That would have been really fucking funny. <laughs> Having a barbecue, drinking some Corona. Diesel rolls up. <laughs> I live. It's like, I don't remember the name of the actual, the, the actual lyrics of the song, but I'm just internally... Like, the one song that played when um, when Paul Walker was like seen like driving away from the franchise... When I See I You Again? Like a, 
Yeah, every time I think of that song, I forget about the actual lyrics and I just hear, Why can't we be friends? <laughs> Why can't we be friends? But uh, to the tempo of the actual song. Terrible. And it tur- and then later on, Sylvester Stallone, or like Jason Salem asked the question of, the very understandable question is like, okay, so how did you fake your death? Because they literally come across Sylvester Stallone's burned up corpse in, a, in their plane that had gotten shot down. And he's like, remember the guy that we fought in this bar at the beginning of the movie? (laughs) (laughs) And it turns out that, because there's a whole bar fight at the beginning of the movie because a dude more or less stole his, like, his special ring. And there's a clip flashing back to the initial mission that sets everything off where Sylvester Stallone has apparently knocked this guy out. And then as the plane that they flew in on is coming down in flames, Sylvester Stallone takes this dude from the cargo hold, straps him in the in like the pilot seat of the plane, and Halo jumps out of the back of it. Oh, and meanwhile, and meanwhile the guy wakes up, realizes that he's falling to his death and starts screaming. <laughs> and I'm just like, "You know what? That is the least unbelievable part of this movie." That's <laughs> tragic. That that is the part of the movie where she goes like, you know what? As much as I hate to say it, that does actually kind of make sense. <laughs> All right, and that's expend fordables. Don't see it. Neat. <laughs> Thank you for that gripping analysis. <laughs> so I've kicked off the unofficial start of Spooky Season. Right, I saw it lives inside, which is a supernatural horror movie, and the directorial debut of. Vishal Dutta. I apologize. I have probably mispronounced the <laughs> fuck out of that. Sorry. I was just going to say, like, holy hell. <laughs> and I'm not really sure I can offer an opinion on whether this movie's worth seeing or not. Oh, because, boy. unfortunately, I had a really hard time gathering what went on in the earlier parts of the movie for two reasons. One, All right. the showing I was at cut the subtitles off. Really? Yeah, the the movie is largely in English, but the main character's mom speaks primarily in Hindi throughout the whole thing. Hmm. And unfortunately, the subtitles cut off so low that I couldn't even hazard a guess at half of it. So I had to just infer what was going on from, you know, context, body language, tone of voice, expressions, that kind of thing, whenever the mom talks. Right. So that was frustrating. Also not helping was I was stuck sitting, not directly next to, but very close to, one of the most obnoxious groups I've ever had the misfortune to see a movie with. (laughs) The theater was almost empty, and these chuckle-fuck teenagers, I hope they were teenagers, because if they're grown-ass adults, then they are an absolute fucking endorsement for... There should be some kind of idiot tax. (laughs) I don't know what you would apply it to, I don't know how you would go about determining it, And I do not mean Mm. to include anybody in that with genuine learning issues or anything of the such. I'm just saying the willfully ignorant, there ought to be a fucking tax. Yeah. Yeah, for real. Because they would just not shut the fuck up. I moved to a completely different row from my seat just to get away from them, and it still didn't help. I could still hear a couple of them. Hmm. And I would have gone and said something to some, you know, like an employee or something... But it's like, I'm having a hard enough time following this movie as it is. If I miss a key scene because of these chuckle fucks. <laughs> Anyways, I thought it was pretty good. Okay. I, I had a hard time picking up on some of the things at the beginning, like I said. But the gist of it, essentially, 
is the main character, Sam, is kind of drifting apart from her mom because she's sort of drifting away from her Indian heritage, and she's trying to more, you know, assimilate, be more quote-unquote American. Right. That sort of thing. Uh, expressing some skepticism towards some of the traditions her mom is doing, and it being made to participate in some of them when she wants to be doing other stuff, yada yada. Right. And in the meantime, a former friend of hers she was very close with, but has since drifted apart, who is uh, also of the same cultural background, and I guess that was part of why they drifted apart, uh, hmm. is going through some shit. What kind of shit? It looks like she's not sleeping, she's eating her lunch alone under the bleachers, she's carrying a jar around with her everywhere. The jar of dirt? No, no. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's fine. That was a pretty good one. <laughs> and so her friend Tamira comes up to her at one point and says, uh, I need your help. You have to believe me on this. There is something evil in this jar, and it you can't see... It can't be seen. Sometimes you can see it. Sometimes you can't. And it needs raw meat, and it's getting stronger, and I can't keep it in. I need your help. And so Sam doesn't believe her, and hears some of the other girls whispering and, you know, saying disparaging things. And out of concern for her own image, she smacks the jar out of Tamara's hand. Oh, no. And, uh, Tamira is panicking. And then she disappears. Okay. Does she, like, literally disappear like, well, at that scene? not at that scene, but Sam's trying to comfort her about it, and then Tamira starts freaking out about something that Sam can't see. Sam runs off to get help, and Tamira gets dragged away by something. Oh, really? We don't see what it is yet. Hmm. So, the movie is not bad. For, okay. Especially because I, I, I could still follow it despite... And it's not a lot of dialogue that I couldn't follow because of the subtitles. It was more a case of... A combination of that and also having to try to listen to English dialogue while filtering out some obnoxious fucks having a conversation in the middle of a fucking movie. Hmm. God, that... <clears throat> pisses me I... off more than it should, but... No, I mean, it's fair, because it's like, it's it'd be one thing if it's like, they were literally the only people in the theaters, because we've had a couple of Yeah, we've done like that. Because it, it's like, we are literally the only two people in this entire theater... An hour in, no one else is showing up. That's one thing. Yeah. But even if there's a couple of people, if there's other people that you don't know that are complete strangers, you'd be quiet. <laughs> right? Especially when, you know, people start glaring at you. <laughs> Menacingly. <laughs> Which I did. Mm. But that's neither here nor there. No, this movie is interesting. I'm not super up on how relevant it is culturally, but I'd assume, I'd assume decently. <laughs> right. <laughs> But there's also a very strong undercurrent of part of the monster is not just the monster, it's rejecting aspects of yourself. Hmm. And in trying to distance yourself from those parts of you, they come back and become a bigger problem. Okay. It's not a perfect metaphor because I feel like there's some, I don't exist, there, there's, some, there's some rough points. There's some rough patches where I'm not 100% sure how well it tracks, but the the intent is there, and for the most part, it carries over well, and it's very well communicated. Okay. I mean, case in point, this is a horror movie where I can actually analyze the broader point of what it's about. Because the thing with horror is that most good horror movies aren't just about the thing that is threatening you. It's about mm -hmm. what the thing represents. Like, the Babadook is depression. 
and mental illness. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's depression. Hereditary is the same thing, but through you know dysfunctional families. Talk to me was drug abuse. Talk to me is drug abuse. Yeah. Don't worry, darling. Is the, I mean that's not really horror, but it's the <laughs> patriarchy it's, and misogyny. I mean, I would call. Don't worry, darling. I would definitely call a horror movie, just not in the uber traditional sense. That's fair. If I feel like, I mean, not that I can really like deeply comment on it, being not a woman, but I, I watched this movie. And I was like, if you're a woman, the idea of this has to terrify you, <laughs> or at least be unsettling, or at least get an eye roll and go, "Yep, that's pretty much what it's like." Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I thought this was pretty all right. I it doesn't really scare me that much, but to be fair, mm. I'm a little bit desensitized to. A lot of horror, because I've seen a lot of it. Right. So, I'm more about, does it unsettle me a bit? And the answer was yes. Yeah, I was going to say, I imagine a resounding yes. Not resounding, but there were definitely points where I was, I was, I was a little off guard. Hmm. And most importantly, I actually care whether the characters live or die. So, okay, you know what? That's good. It's always, I feel like, <laughs> with some of these movies... It's a little bit too easy to hate the characters. Right. Not for completely unfounded reasons. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But it's a thing of, like, it's nice when, you know, these terrible things are happening that have good representation to people that, you know, as the audience, you actually care about and don't want to see these terrible things happen to. Exactly. Especially when, you know, as some, like I said, I'm kind of conditioned where more traditional horror stuff doesn't really scare me that much just because I've seen a lot of it. It's more important to me that I care about the characters and I care about the setup because you're not really going to get me with the scares. There are exceptions. There are 100% still things where I will go, no, 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 thank you. But <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, hard. I have mine as well. I, I have mine as well, so I understand that. So let's see. Let's see. Honestly, it, it's it's pretty straightforward. Uh, there's It's a decent enough. Why don't you go to talk to people about it? Because, of course, they're not going to believe you. Because she starts mm -hmm. uncovering an idea that this goes even farther back, like whatever this is has claimed victims beforehand that they also already knew. But mm -hmm. connecting those dots is difficult. Right. There's a little bit of a romance subplot in it, but it's not super important. But at the same time, the chemistry is pretty good. So you actually... Huh. It's not boring, it's not tedious. And it sets up something real good partway through the movie. Oh, okay. So that's neat. I am not 100% sure I understand how the sealing ritual for this thing works. Mm -hmm. But that's probably, again, because I missed something between not being able to read subtitles because they were cut off and having obnoxious fucks who were especially loud during the first portion of the movie. And also the, mm -hmm. like, third quarter of the movie. <laughs> A.K.A. the worst times. Oh, yeah, because, like, and this is where shit is going down, and they, they won't shut up. <laughs> it also makes it really hard to gauge, because there's, there's some conflict between Sam and her mom, based on, you know, Sam's re gradual rejection of traditions. Mm -hmm. But it's really hard to determine whose side I'm on, if I'm on anybody's side, when I mm. can only get half the argument. Right. It's like listening to a phone conversation. Like, listen to, talk, listen to someone talking on the phone, but you can't hear the other person. It's infuriating. 
Part of me is thinking that this might be one that you may potentially have to see a second time, just under hopefully better circumstances. I might get a digital, just because I don't want to take the chance of going to see it in theaters a second time and having it do exactly the same fucking thing, you know? Yeah, that's Because fair. I'm pretty sure it'll be in the same theater, which means it will be the same way. Hmm. But, like, I don't hate the idea of watching it a second time, so... Okay. I'll probably do it again. In that spirit, I would say, yeah, this one is, I think, worth a watch. It's a... It's a it's a decent horror entry. I like the extra flavor of tying it into a culture that I'm not overly familiar with, which I mean a lot of them do, but mm-hmm. I don't usually see a lot of them get theatrical releases, or at least when they do, I don't usually get a chance to go see them as much. So that was nice. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad you're saying that too because I realize it would be really genuinely disappointing if we had two movies back to back that were both like no don't go see it <laughs> right right it would be especially sad because this would be the second horror movie in three mm. weeks where i would say no don't go see it but in this one yeah go see it over the nun 2 100 <laughs> percent. stop stop the nun 2 from making money yeah i mean it's too late it's already made its money it had like a 60 million dollar budget or something ridiculous so it's made its oh, money okay. it's fine they're gonna make more whatever mm-hmm. if you don't want to get spoiled on it lives inside. Make sure to click away in three, two, one. So the the entity is something called uh, and I I apologize because I thought it was pronounced one way, and now looking at the spelling, I'm pretty sure I had it wrong, but I can't figure out how to read the pronunciation. Uh, okay. I believe it's called a Peshak. Uh, hold on, because I want to kind of look at the. The idea it is, it. it's a uh. I guess it feeds off of negative energy. Apparently, mm. back in India, Sam's mom was told, never go never go to sleep with a negative thought in your heart or something like that. And it's like, oh, that's terrible. That's me every day I go to bed and have to wake up and go into work the next day. I never make it. Oh, no. Mm. And the creature actually didn't kill Tamira instantly. It uh, apparently keeps its prey alive to tenderize the soul. Yeah, boy. Yeah, no, it's pretty... Uh, occasionally you get <laughs> interludes mm-hmm. of Tamira trying to escape from where she's being held captive, but getting attacked by this thing over and over again. Oh. Its design is okay. It, it's unfortunate because it got a lot of abstract representations across the movie through artwork some of uh, a previous victim of it painted that looked suitably horrifying and unknowable and alien, so that when you see the actual thing, it's it's all right. But it's a bit of a letdown. It doesn't quite it doesn't quite match up to the majesty, you know. Hmm. But I'm okay. very hard to please with horror monster designs. I am. It takes a lot for me to call something exceptional in that regard. A lot of them I will mm-hmm. just say are generic. But it's it, it, it's interesting. There's a teacher character who's very supportive. The love interest is not terrible. He says some dumb things, but you can tell he means it in a good way. And he seems to genuinely like the main character, which makes it all the more horrible when he dies in Act Two. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. Oh yeah, the fucking Pashakta attacks him, and first it, it it fucking strings him up from a swing set, and then it starts ragdolling him around, but you can't see it, so he's just fucking he's just fucking flying through the air. It's crazy. Oh, as I was gonna say, is it one of those things, kind of like how with Mifrigan, where you don't see it, but you very much hear it? No, you see him. You just don't. You the thing is invisible. Oh, uh, oh! So the actual like you see him get fucked up. You see him get fucked up doing it. Okay. And you you miss a lot of the gore because it's very frantic and it's very fast paced. But you can tell this thing is manhandling him. Mm. It's pretty. It's pretty intense. 
Oh, boy. And I keep hearing stuff in the background, and it keeps making me nervous. <laughs> so, you know what else is nice, though? At Near the end of the movie, Sam goes to her mom and explains what she thinks is going on, and her mom actually believes her. Oh, okay. Yeah, right? It's a little refreshing. It doesn't even take, like, a monster attack beforehand or anything. She comes to her with her suspicions and is like, I think this is what this is. I need you to tell me about this thing. And she's like, okay. <laughs> All right. It was very nice. Yeah, that's 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 a good change. I am so used to skeptical adults in these things who are like, oh, I don't believe you, right up until the monster's roaring right in their face. And then it's like, oh, fuck, you were right! It's Dracula! <laughs> and then uh, it's like, Count Dracula. <laughs> President uh, no, Dracula. No, Dracula. Gun gets pulled. <laughs> yes, Count Dracula. <laughs> so, Sam manages to figure out where Tamira's being held, tries to, uh, tries to seal it back up in a jar, Entity breaks a jar, Sam realizes that she can be used as a vessel instead, and they seal it up inside oh. her. Oh no. And it cuts to a year later, and everything seems alright, except now she periodically has to eat raw meat. Oh. Oh, that's... Oh, that can't be good for her. <laughs> it, probably not, but it's probably fine. The thing, the, the thing inside her probably processes all of it. Mm. And then, like most horror movies, it has, like, a or will it ending, and that's kind of annoying. I... I, mm. I, I know this sounds stupid since I'm, a hor- since I'm a horror enthusiast, but I'd like it if more of these just ended on an unambiguous yeah, you beat it note. Mm-hmm. I'm sure in a lot of cases, like when the monster represents something more, like the Babadook representing depression, ergo, it doesn't actually go away. The best you can do is treat it by keeping it in the basement and feeding it worms, and that keeps it from rearing up, ergo. Yeah. You you can't actually just magic your depression away or beat it with a stick. You just gotta fucking deal with it, treat it, and keep the worst of it at bay. Right. So in this case, it's a case of, Tamira and Sam are talking, and Tamira's worried about, oh, what if it gets out? And Sam goes, it won't. It'll never get out. And then she starts just looking more concerned, and then a tear comes out of her eye. Oh. So, I guess that means, no, it might still get out, which feels unfortunate. But, like, as as horror twist endings, oh, or is it actually over, goes, that's pretty tame. Mm, It's still sad, though. It's sad. Yeah, I guess it's just a thing like that poor girl. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a particularly fun way to have to live. Yeah. But no, I thought this was decent. And I would okay. probably have more to say if I hadn't been distracted the entire first act. <laughs> right. Or if I'd been able to read the fucking subtitles. Because there's a there's a whole hmm. scene where they're doing a... I, for, I do not remember what it's called. It's some kind of... It's some kind of, like, prayer thing. Okay. And most of the dialogue in that is conducted in Hindi. Mm. And when the parents talk to each other, the dad mostly speaks English, but when he's talking to the mom, he tends to switch over. So whenever conversations between them are going on, it's like, okay, now I'm not really getting any of the conversation. Because I'm getting vibes. That's it. Yeah, it's like the most literal thing of like, there are actually two different conversations happening in earshot right now. Yep. And one of them is in a language I don't speak, and I can't read the dialogue, so... Whoops. Yeah, it makes it even better. Ends up being a thing where you get it digitally, and the subtitles on the digital... Still cut still off. Still cut off. <laughs> that would be infuriating. I'd love it, That actually. would be amazing. <laughs> but yeah, no, I definitely think this is worth a watch. 
Uh, my opinion okay. might change if and when I get a chance to check it out again, now with added context. <laughs> but all in all, it's not the most unique thing in the world, but it's definitely got a spin on it that makes it a little different from things that I've seen, and the fact that I actually like most of the characters involved goes a long way. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. And I think that about wraps up this episode. Alrighty. I gotta plug in my laptop before it dies. Yes, definitely do that. Next week, I'm pretty sure this is the week where our main option is the creator. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the one I'm going to go see. Because it's either that, or we have to pick a side in the great Saw Patrol debate, and I refuse. Yeah, it's, no, it's, that's, it's the creator. There's, like, I would, I'm, I, if I can't see the creator, I'm just not going to see a movie this weekend again. (laughs) Is it bad that if I had to pick, I'd probably go with Paw Patrol? No, because Saw looks like, I mean, I know it's the Saw series, I know there's ten of these freaking things, but Saw very much has the vibe of it is gratuitous just for the sake of being gratuitous, and even that gets old after a while. what do you mean Dumb Money already came out? What? Yeah, it came out this past weekend, too. Oh! Fuck, I gotta, no, I'm glad I stuck to the horror movie, you know what? I'm glad. Yeah, no. Like, I I do want to see Dumb Money, but I think I'm... For the sake of entertainment, I think it was better than I saw Expendables for. <laughs> well, I'm glad you had fun either way. Yeah, dot, dot, dot. dot. Hopefully the audience is entertained. Oh, The Kill Room like is also did... out the same weekend, apparently. Allegedly. I'll have to oh. see if there's showtimes. I might try to see The Creator and The Kill Room. That would be a thing, wouldn't it? Like, studios, <laughs> are, studios are trying to push Saw Patrol. It's like, I saw literally the other two. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know the Saw Patrol thing is just... It's a meme. It's it's, yeah, it's 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 the morbid time of Barbenheimer. <laughs> yeah, it's like we're it's them trying and getting it wrong. It's like we have Barbenheimer guys. It's like no, Barbenheimer did so well for very different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> In any case, thanks so much for listening, everybody. As I said earlier, uh, like, comment, subscribe, do whatever you want to do. Make sure to follow us on yada yada fine print boilerplate. You get it. Uh, if you're mm-hmm. in the area and you're free on October twenty ninth. Which is the day. I'm not sure if I ever said that date. Uh, for It came from Under the Bridge, Under the Hood Edition. <laughs> I'm proud of that title. I'm glad you are. Yeah, that makes one of us. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but if you can, uh, make sure to swing in. Should be a fun time. I'm definitely going to be there. So that makes one of us, at least. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And uh, we'll see. We'll see. In any case, this has been Under the Bridge with Cody, a.k.a. the Scarlet Troll. And with Greg, a.k.a. Greg. And we'll catch you guys next week. Goodbye, everybody. Bye!